It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon is tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4, Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. That's about right, Dale, isn't it? If it's green, it's in. I think that'll do. It works yeah. for me. We went through all the usual logos. We we paid the ad agency lots of money and they were shit. So we came up with, if it's green, it's in. <laughs> we didn't really pay anybody any money. No, we didn't. We didn't really do anything, did we? <laughs> no. <laughs> that sounds way too organised. What we got today? Well, I reckon, let's start with this. Climate change will cost Germany up to 900 billion euros by 2050, apparently. Well, that's quite a lot. So that I would say that's a lot of money. And I assume this is a kind of, if you like, a, a tacit warning to countries, really. You can put your house in order if you want to, but if you don't, these are the kind of numbers we're looking at. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was last episode, the one before, we were talking about one of those crazy big uh, sun deflection schemes. You know, there was the, the, the earlier one was the one on the moon. And then we came to the UN saying we need to look at doing something like that in the eventuality that we fail to hit our net zero targets, which, of course, we're on course to do, miss them, that is. And uh, and they were saying it'll cost like $100 billion a year for 100 years. You know, yeah. and I, I remember saying, how, how stupid are we if we're prepared to spend that money <laughs> for 100 years because we fail to spend a lot less now to get the job done? And I think, you know, this is an example for Germany, $900 billion if yeah. we fail to get to grips with the climate crisis. And we don't need to fail to get to grips with it, you know, particularly on the energy front, uh, wind and solar, need no public money that economic now and all we've got to do is uh, unshackle them in britain's case from the planning system and let them get going this is the uh, kind of ongoing thing that we revisit all the time isn't it so mm. here's some energy that is free and here's some energy that isn't it's going to cost you an absolute ton of money and the bureaucracy and the shite that goes with it to make it work plus you you kill the planet while you use it uh, all this free stuff over here which one do you want i mean it's the no-brainer scenario keeps coming back. And at some point you think, are all these politicians, whether they're in this country or elsewhere, at some point are going to go, oh, yeah, can you talk me through that again? (laughs) That's right. And it ties in with this, Del. Britain's defence industry is to be blocked from profiting from the EU's vast increase in spending on arms for Ukraine under a leaked plan seen by The Guardian. Yeah. I mean, I think this is brilliant. I read this plan and I thought, oh, my God, why can't we do this for the climate crisis, right? This plan from the EU is to coordinate all of the countries of the bloc, set an enormous budget to give long-term contracts to the manufacturers of, of arms so that they have the market certainty to gear up and scale up. Um, and, and all of this stuff is like music to my ears if only they were talking about the f***ing climate crisis. <laughs> That's the funny thing, isn't it? They've got, <laughs> they've, got, they've got the whole thing worked out when it comes to sh- shooting the freaking life out of people and countries and infrastructure and God knows what. We're very, very organized in destroying the planet uh, in that respect. But when it comes to actually saving the darn thing, we don't know what the hell we're doing. 
No, it's an old-fashioned war, and we don't seem to get a have got a heads round yet fighting this new-fashioned war, this climate crisis thing. It seems that way. Here's a question. This comes in from Antoinette, who says, Dale, uh, there's a plan to build new not, wind farms. Not Mary. Not, Mary. <laughs> not her. <laughs> no. Antoinette says, there's a plan to build uh, new wind farms across Wales, but currently the suggestion is that they will be connected to the network by overhead wires. This happens at the same time the Welsh government is moving cables underground. Is one method more efficient, and doesn't it make sense to use energy generated by a wind farm closer to where they are rather than send 60 plus miles underground or overhead what's with the cables what is this (laughs) there's a few questions in there but yes one is more efficient than the other overhead cables are more efficient because they get cooled by the air underground that doesn't happen Uh, underground cables are much more expensive to build as well and so if the welsh government are undergrounding overhead cables they'll be doing it in places that are visually sensitive national parks maybe stuff like that got it Um, as a rule of thumb over overhead is the way it goes because it's so much quicker and cheaper and and more efficient and yes we should build all forms of energy close to where it gets used and 60 miles is not that bad actually Uh, there's an awful lot of wind energy in scotland that's traveling hundreds of miles and offshore wind farms you know they're shipping their energy probably hundreds of miles as well and old-fashioned power stations you know most of them are up in the north cornwall gets that you know over at least 100 miles worth of uh, overhead cable so i think at 60 miles wind is doing quite well but we can we can do better what's the deal with the cables it's like it's just like a man one end and one the other just pulling it to turn the wind turbines around or is this a separate thing <laughs> no, these are power cables they they let they carry the current they carry the power up and down the right, country right gotcha okay because there is some confusion i think that perhaps turbines work completely on their own but there is some assistance yeah, well you know i mean one of the great old myths of wind energy is that uh, it, the windmills use more electricity to turn themselves than they ever make but that's from back in the day you know i don't think anybody says that anymore except possibly mike graham our old friend or my old friend, I think he's your friend as well. <laughs> well we'll come to mike graham in a moment <laughs> okay. fossil fuel heater ban proposals outrages germany the germans are really under the the, the microscope on this episode clearly yeah indeed um and you know this is an interesting proposal it's not unlike our own government's proposal to ban the sale of new gas boilers um, I don't I think in a few years time in order to force people to buy these stupidly expensive heat pumps that will crank up your annual energy bill by 50% and make your house colder in, in a nutshell and cause us to build three times as much green electricity on the grid as, as we do need at the moment. So, I mean, the, the heat pump plan is massively flawed. It looks like Germany's going down the same road, uh, banning um, gas and oil heaters for German households and nudging their thereby the population towards heat pumps and district heating and stuff like that. So, I think... It talks in the article about, you know, this is what we have to do to transition, uh, you know, away from fossil fuel heating, but it isn't. What we have to do is actually transition to green gas, keep the appliances we have, keep the grid that we have, and just change the gas in the system. Yeah. You might think that, again, is this argument penetrating government at all? Because they, 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 they I've not heard anybody say, oh, by the way, the heat pump idea is off. Uh, yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> and blimey, it's, it's, it's begging for it, right? It's begging yeah. for it because the, the statistics are incredible. People's real life experience of heat pumps, you know, increasingly are coming to the fore and, and it's bad. I mean, I've got a heat pump myself and this winter, every time the temperature drops below zero, then the house gets cold and there's nothing I can do about it. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's why what it do, is. A lot of people listening to this will go, why did you get a heat pump, Dale? You're the greatest <laughs> advocate that these things are shite. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I first had one 20 years ago. I had a heat pump, a heat store, all kinds yeah. of uh, crazy, edgy things to try and, uh, you okay. know, experiment with getting, you know, getting off of fossil gas. Uh, but this time it came with the house I bought. So I didn't choose it. And it's, yep. it's, it's a lovely little place, super energy efficient and all that, and underfloor heating. But it's got a heat pump. And when, when the temperature goes negative, the heat pump just can't keep up. That's crazy. And of course, as we established last time, you know, for some homes, it's not just a case of having this boiler switched over, which is cumbersome in itself because it will require more space than a conventional boiler. It might well be that your radiators have to be ripped out because they need to be bigger and your floor needs to be ripped out to accommodate wider piping in order to service the radiators. Yeah, well, the um, I mean, the ideal heating with a heat pump is underfloor. And uh, and if you can't have that, then you, you usually need to put in bigger radiators because yep. the, the, the water that you have in your house is not as hot. And so you need a bigger radiator, more surface area to try and heat your space up. Yep. You know, I mean, there's just nothing right with it, really. And, and something like 40% of UK homes won't suit a heat pump anyway. I mean, 20% absolutely can't have one. Yep. And another 20% will really struggle to be adaptable. And the other 60% are going to face 50% higher energy bills. Whatever the price of energy is, they'll pay 50% more yep. with a heat pump than with a gas boiler. There's all kinds of madness. Yeah, I'm one of those houses that wouldn't be able to have one without the local council taking me to the magistrate and saying I've breached all manner of kind of um, issues around the, you know, the, the age of the house house and that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. don't monkey around with these walls the councillor yeah. said or i'll fucking kill you um, and i thought it's a bit harsh from a councillor but there you go they're gonna um, kill you slowly by, by, by freezing you to death <laughs> that's right yeah. mr freeze our local councillor you know there's a there's a big <laughs> issue there right with with the way the councils and planning law deals with old properties and and you know the the effective ban on modernizing and then making them fit to live in well, I've had this argument. I, I've got windows that leak like a sieve. They are ridiculous, and I'm not allowed to change them. So all I can do is try and find the you know the, the, the right designer for these windows, about 300, 400 years old, which I could do that. But even if I find the right designer, he has to build them like the old ones. So yeah. it's still going to end up with the same problem. Yeah. Now, where, where's I don't know what the compromise is in that. You know, there's got to be one somewhere. It's maddening. I lived in a house uh, once that had really old glass that was um, not flat, and I wanted to put in um, double double glazed uh, units. Yep. Uh, you know, in the in the original frames to keep the look. And the council said no, because flat glass looks different to unflat glass, and and that will ruin the look of it. Yeah. Really, and and therefore I had to have single glazed. Yeah, as you say, a couple of hundred year old glass. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's self-defeating anyway, because these houses, if people don't live in them, if people can't afford to live in them, then they fall into disrepair. If if we want this old stuff looked after, then we've got to look after the people that live in them. There's no doubt that just changing the windows in my house would alter the energy rating. That alone would. I mean, it's it's ludicrous. Yeah, and the comfort factor. And I wouldn't want to put crap windows in. I don't. I don't want to put you know some kind of Everest double glazing sort of scenario. But I, I think there's a way that you can meet a compromise and have something that doesn't uh, in any way betray the, the the kind of aesthetics of what it's meant to do. But the reality of I mean, what are they going to argue the same point in a thousand years time? Go, oh, exactly. sorry, you can't change those windows, but there's only one pane of glass left in them. No, nope, it's how <laughs> it's how they were intended to be, and it's a uh, it's That's an right. utter nonsense. It um, is. 
Here's one about methane. Drilling methane leaks could risk triggering climate tipping points. Well, this one is actually scary, right? We're, we're talking about 1,000 super emitter sites for methane around the world that, that were gushing uh, methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas, into the atmosphere last year. And they're all oil and gas sites. Big surprise there. One of them is so bad, it's the equivalent of 67 million cars running that's wow. the equivalent greenhouse impact of one site. 67 million cars. Yeah, and these are leaks, right? They aren't being used and harnessed, or there's no Gosh, good coming yeah, from yeah. it. This They're just is- leaks. And they found something called a methane bomb. They found 55 of them. It sounds scary, a methane bomb. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a fossil fuel extraction site where gas leaks alone from future production will release more methane than 30 years of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Wow. What the f***? <laughs> we can't allow them. We can't allow them to do that, can we? Who would who would you have to? I mean, who's the person make, allowing this to happen? I don't know. It must be that Soros bloke. <laughs> it's got to be him. <laughs> him or Gates, right? Is one of yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, uh, or yeah. Mister Methane is the man behind this. <laughs> Remember him? Uh, no. Maybe. He was actually a speciality act. He used to do, well, the obvious. He could... Uh, <laughs> like yeah. his farts. Yes. Well, no, he could play tunes with his, essentially, with his <laughs> anus. <laughs> yeah. I've been missing out. His God Save the Queen was to die for, I have to say. <laughs> He'll need to re-record it now. Yeah. Best trombone you ever heard. <laughs> uh, this from Teresa. Uh, any plans to get into the eco-housing market, Dale? I believe there's a huge untapped demand for it. We were just chatting, you know, really, I suppose, in a connected area. Yeah, really. I mean, I'm madly busy and I'm trying to not start new things. I'm not having a lot of success at that. But housing, you know, I, I see the need We've got definitely one project where we'll get dragged into the housing uh, industry for sure. That's Forest Green. When we move to Eco Park, we'll have a almost 10-acre yep. site and a room for about 100 uh, homes. We're hoping to make them low-carbon and affordable, and we're looking at uh, prefab construction and stuff like that. Some funky new things being done with quick-to-build, super-cheap, super-efficient homes. Um, so, I mean, the short answer is yes, we, we're definitely going to get involved. And the long answer was what I just said. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's actually the long and short answer are the same answer, as it turns out, which uh, which I think is nice synergy in the answer department. Um, UK flood damage bill could rise by 20% due to yeah. global warming. So look, I'm going to file this in the list of like, uh, tell me something a bit less f-ing obvious, right? Yeah. UK flood damage, of course the bill is going to rise due to global warming. We all know that twenty percent. Okay, that's maybe that's a new number, but honestly, come on, this is a this is a non piece of news from my perspective. It's like, yeah, okay, let's Got move it. on. Uh, what about this story that I know you spotted? EU countries delay vote on landmark law to end the sale of CO two emitting cars. Yeah, I like this story. I mean, at first look at it, I was a bit bit concerned actually because the EU have proposed a law; it's not quite passed yet to ban internal combustion engine cars pretty yep. much by 2035. And a couple of countries like Italy, and I think one part of the German uh, ruling uh, party or government uh, as well, have proposed or, or argued that there should be room for something called e-fuel, synthetic fuels to run combustion engines. Uh, and they're not completely clean, of course, because um, they burn something. And the EU have said, look, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have some words in that will allow that. But uh, 
But there's been some kickback and um, the German government is split. They may have to abstain. And if they do, with Italy being against the law, it, it could it could go backwards. But I don't think that will happen. I don't know why I like the story, really. There's obviously still a battle at the heart of the EU. I know, I know why I liked it. Audi came out and said, no, come on, guys. We've committed to the end of the internal combustion engine because electric vehicles are far more efficient. End of. And I thought, yeah, that's it. That's brilliant. That's from industry. Yeah. We've got the electric car, right? We've got all the tech. They work so well. We don't need to be wrangling over something called e-fuels. And, and industry is always ahead of government in these respects, generally speaking. And, and on this, when a company like Audi come out the traps and say that, then you, you, know, you tend to, the politician should really go, well, I'm this week's you know energy minister. I know absolutely jack shit about the very brief I'm <laughs> yeah. given. So I, might, I should really listen to the Audi boys. And I thought it was interesting. There was another story that EU targets 40% of clean tech to be made within the block by 2030. So that does show you, and this is, you know, competition support green tech, essentially, between different markets, different territories, which makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, I love that one, too. Just uh, going back to the car story ever so briefly, e-fuels, as far as I'm concerned, aren't in the world. And they're one of these kind of future techs like carbon capture and storage that some parts of industry like to talk up as an answer to carrying on with business as usual. So, you know, we just need to forget them. But yeah, this story was really fantastic. The EU are setting up a fund to compete with the American fund. I think it's the something Inflation Act or something. They're going to put $400 billion into uh, stimulating the green economy. Yeah. And as part of that, they're paying people to make stuff in America, basically. The EU is setting up to compete, to pay people to make stuff in the EU, and China is already competing at the same time. So the three big trading blocks of the world are now having a, an arms race uh, to uh, you know to be the kind of capital of green tech. I think that's fantastic. Obviously, we're sat on the sidelines uh, looking at that because yeah, we... Yeah. We made the most stupid decision. We ain't, we ain't part of any block at all. No. <laughs> We're the blockheads. But we ain't in no block. But we get blue passports now. <laughs> That's I, I haven't got one yet. I'm no, just, but uh, I tell you what, there's one in our house. Let's get, get one from a little boy. And obviously, because it was his first passport, there it was. Uh, blue, in blue. Um, and for some people, they were getting, you know, literally aroused by this. Wow. They're like, wow! It's now my passport's blue. My your passport is twenty nine times of less value than it used to be. <laughs> Think about <laughs> it like by, that. And by the way, it's a lot less use if you want to get into the EU without without hassle. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Join the queue and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, fossil fuel companies donate seven hundred million pounds to U.S. universities over a decade. Well, who the hell would have thought that? Yeah, just another <laughs> one of them stories, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the kind of insidious influence of, of big oil and the money they chuck at, um, you know, lobbyists as well as researchers and universities and that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, hey-ho. I was at Oxford Uni last night. Really? Um, yeah, I giving a talk. you over there. Yeah, giving a talk to some students, talking about business and, and my book and the stuff I'd done yeah. and, and the environment and forest green. I had a, I had a right old time. The place is amazing, right? I've never been there before. Um, a bit like a mini Hogwarts. I, yeah, like, I did know. a thing there as well with the psychologist and a psychopath. Um, <laughs> seriously, and I kind of chaired, moderated this debate, and and it was. I had exactly that, and I stayed overnight there as well. And I just you can't help without sounding tweet, but you can't help be kind of enveloped by the history and the design and the architecture of the place. It you, you feel it, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a really cute little place, actually, uh, dating back to the 13th century. Yeah, some bits of it. I reckon if they keep that up, they could knock out some really intelligent people in the years to come. I think there's that's a good <laughs> yeah. business plan they've got going on there. I wonder what their windows are like. I was about their windows. Now they would fail every test, wouldn't they? <laughs> the window <laughs> department. And there's again the council go. Sorry, can't change that. Oh look, who's here again? It's Mister Freeze, the councillor of doom. Uh, they yeah, they'd never get past anything. And I've just heard, what's that? Is that the book bugle I can hear now? There it is again. No, surely not. Well, there's a couple no. of points on this. The book bugle. By the way, this is selling incredibly well. And the reason we mention this, and I know you're the last bloke in the world that ever wants to kind of do that thing of singing your own praises and you know, and, and promoting stuff in that kind of sense because it's not you. But So I can do a bit of this for you. But this is the paperback version of the book, which has two new chapters. There's a big discount on it. And Mike Graham uh, said he wasn't going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I was on the radio with him this morning. I mean, I love Mike. He's such fun. And I haven't spoken to him for a while. And oh, my word, he's so extreme. I laugh at him. And then he just he just smiles and laughs back because he knows he's being extreme. Yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah. he says, you know, uh, but uh, but it's great because I get the chance to speak to him and his audience. And if they even believe a little bit of what he's selling, you know, I'm, you know it's important that I'm there. But yeah, he ended his show by saying he's got a new book out. I'm not buying it. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great well, sign that, if we'd already given him one anyway. That's brilliant. But it is, I mean, it is genuinely selling really well. And there is, you know, we mentioned that there's the forward by John Robb in there as well. And mm, it's yeah. like four ninety nine as well, which you can't really yeah. go wrong with. And Now, we discounted it for like all our social media followers and people. And, you know, I was in Oxford last night, as I mentioned, and yeah. the guy running the show, he said, I tried to buy your book and like Blackstones didn't have it. Waterstones said they could get one from Amsterdam. And I'm like, WTF? You know, I, I think... Penguin haven't put enough out in the world. I can't believe it's selling so many that you can't get one for a wall. But if you go to fgr.co.uk slash shop, then you can. That's where you go. fgr.co.uk slash shop. It's the paperback version. It's four ninety nine. There's new chapters in there. And it's, you know, I think probably, you know, the, only a matter of time before the next book comes out, though. But that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other story. In fact, tying in with that, Gemma says, is your audio book getting an update for the new chapter? Chapters. Oh, that's a good question, Gemma. Thanks for that. Because the, the audiobook update has like been a bit irritating. It's taking much longer than it should have done. So currently it's the old version. And I keep getting social media messages from people saying, Oh, I just bought it on audiobook. And I'm thinking, shit, you didn't. You got the old one. And oh, um, right. yeah, yeah. it's a it's because we can't even get the old one taken down. I asked that question. So it's going to be a couple of weeks, but it is coming. We've done it. We've recorded the chapters and everything's been work. stitched together. It's just stuck in the pipe. Final question from Chris on Facebook. I heard you mentioning the Big Dunk Burger. What's in one, and how does Ronald McDonald feel about this? <laughs> well, I'm hoping he feels choked, right? Yeah, darn right. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping he tries one and chokes on it because it's a beautiful burger. Um, we've oh, it's got such a story behind it. We've got a we've got a bun made for us by Hobbs from wheat grown just down the road in Swindon on a wild farm. Yep. Uh, we can talk about that in another episode of what wild farming cool. is. Uh, we've got some kind of sauerkraut compote to put into the burger. That's good for gut biome. Nice. We've got this, this massive patty that we've made at the devil's kitchen and then it's shredded lettuce and tomato and, um, and a bit of relish. Uh, it's just going to be a super old school, really big burger, like about a I don't know, it was like 110, 120 millimeters across, five ounces. Nice. Uh, it's it's going to be worthy of the name Big Dunk, right? And yeah. I'm hoping that Big Mac take a little bit of umbrage and, uh, yeah. you know, because then it'll be fun. And there's right? no meat in it, of course. 
somebody might listen to that and go hang on a second hang on he's not mentioned this yet so i thought i better just throw that caveat in there this is a vegan burger but hell you're gonna love every bite of this beast absolutely we were talking about that last night with the students right about not labeling something like if you call it vegan what you're really saying is what's not in it correct right and i'm I'm much rather prefer to work what's in it yeah, and as we always say, chips are vegan. And that chips should be said. Ever, can't be said loud <laughs> enough. Uh, I've got it on a T-shirt now. <laughs> think, yeah, that's, there's a whole thing there. We, we can use that for the festivals this year. Chips are vegan. Fabulous. Uh, Dale, we're speaking a week. Yeah, looking forward to it. See you later, in. And that is it from this episode. Don't forget you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new one automatically. Make sure you leave a review there too. If you want to get in touch, zerocarbonista at ecotristy.co.uk. Really important bit to follow Dale on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on TikTok. Dead simple to find. Zero Carbon East Off.